sport has an important role here to, uh, by promoting diverse gender inclusion, uh, to ensure that uh, every Australian fulfils their, their right to have their life enriched through sport. There are more people than what we thought who have a gender identification which is not aligned with their biological sex. And uh, again, they have rights like everybody else to have their life enriched through sport. Yeah, Boston, you know, it was, it was one hit after the other. Boston got cancelled, the Paralympics got cancelled and... And I uh, couldn't believe it. I stuck the ball over the line. I just remember thinking, I made it, I made it, I made it. I just guess I felt um, sort of numb and like something had been ripped out of me. Like, I just couldn't really, I didn't know how I was going to keep living. Yeah. Welcome to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Onside, I'm Tim Gable. On Onside, our guests have ranged from Olympic gold medalists to sanctioned athletes, CEOs to medical experts. In this highlight episode, we discuss the new gender guidelines for inclusive sport, the role of sport, the challenges of resetting for the Tokyo Olympics, and the dangers supplements pose to athletes' careers. We also celebrate some great moments from sport, this time the 1989 Rugby League Grand Final, with the retired Canberra Raider Steve Jackson. In 2019, Sport Australia partnered with the Australian Human Rights Commission and the Coalition of Major Professional and Participation Sports to deliver guidelines for the inclusion of transgender and gender-diverse people in sport. We were joined by the AIS Chief Medical Officer, Dr David Hughes, to discuss the new guidelines, the issue of getting the balance right between fairness and inclusion, and the relevance for elite sports. I think it's uh, important that sport at all time reflects what's going on in society and moves with societal changes. I think sport has an important role here to, uh, by promoting diverse gender inclusion, uh, to ensure that uh, every Australian um, fulfills their, their right to have their life enriched through sport. Um, so we have to find a place for everybody. And that uh, um, document that's been produced by um, the Australian Human Rights Commission and Sport Australia is really a, if you like, a simple how-to guide for clubs and organisations and anyone really who's thinking about what are the practical steps that we need to take to ensure that our sporting organisation um, is set up such that people feel welcomed and feel that uh, um, they can come into our organisation and be welcomed as, as uh, one of our tribe. Um, no matter what their uh, gender orientation. High levels of testosterone, it's a big issue in sport. We've seen the Castor Semenya situation. D does this go any way to clarifying the levels of testosterone that should be allowed for somebody to transition across and play in a female sport? Look, I don't think so, and I don't think that's its purpose. Um, I, and I think just uh, for your listeners, we need to... The, the issue of intersex athletes who are athletes who are born female, have always grown up socialised as females, and then after puberty are discovered to have a condition called hyperandrogenism, where they may have androgen levels uh, into the male range. Uh, they're intersex athletes. Transgender athletes are athletes who are 
uh, who were uh, born and raised as uh, uh, one biological sex but identify with another gender um, and who decide to transition across uh, to the gender with which they identify. So they are different issues but related. Um, and I really think the document from the Australian Human Rights Commission and Sport Australia I see as being targeted um, at the grassroots and um, for, for sporting organisations generally. So it certainly have, has relevance for elite sport, but I, I don't think it's um, I don't think its purpose is to try and sort out the sort of complex issues that specifically apply to high performance sport where there are issues um, around the balance, getting the balance right between fairness and making sure there's a level playing field um, in terms of performance and um, uh, inclusion. And I, I think I do think there's a, the, the balance and the you know the um, uh, the ratio of uh, risk to benefit is uh, different at grassroots to the high performance level. You mentioned a moment ago we we talked about intersex and we talked about transition, um, even though they're, they're different to, to a certain degree, you mentioned there that there are similarities, aren't there, yeah, uh, yeah, which, which need to be identified and, and dealt with through a policy. Sure, that's right. There are some, and I suppose the similarities are that um, I, th- I think both the intersex condition and transgender um, issues challenge, for all of us, challenge our, what has been our sort of, I suppose, our understanding of biological sex over the centuries we just thought it was so black and white um, that you're either male or female and that's it end of story and clearly that is not the case and and we've got a growing understanding and a more sophisticated understanding now of um, uh, that biological sex is in fact a continuum and there are people while most people are at either end of being male or female there is a continuum of people in between who have just as much right to enrich their lives through sport as anybody and also we understand that there are more people than what we thought who have a gender identification which is not aligned with their biological sex. And uh, again, they have rights like everybody else to have their life enriched through sport. And But in both of these issues, if we're talking about high performance sport where there's a lot on the line and it comes down to fractions of a second, etc., um, then we do have to give some thought to issues of fairness. So you, clearly you couldn't just have a very competent um, male athlete transitioning straight across into the female classification without some sort of transition process because we know that males do on average enjoy a 8 to 12% performance advantage across both endurance and power sports uh, compared to females. The full interview continues the discussion around the complex issues that specifically apply to high performance sport such as the issue of muscle memory after a transition process has taken place and how much more work needs to be done in including diverse gender individuals fairly in sport. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. The COVID-19 pandemic changed everything last year, particularly for Olympic and Paralympic athletes. We spoke to three-time Paralympian Michael Rozier about the impact the postponement had on him. Michael was born without the lower part of his right arm. However, he considers himself to be one of the lucky ones. I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. I hadn't had to go through any trauma in my life. I was born like this. I've got a twin brother, Christopher, who took me under his wing and didn't treat me any differently. And that was like my community, Langhorn Creek as well. So 
I guess there has been difficult times, but most of my childhood was great memories and, you know, just getting in there and giving everything a go. And I think that came from my first passion at AFL where I used to, could take a mean hanger and hand pass with my stump and just love that growing up as a kid. I didn't think it was, uh, you didn't get pinged by the umpires? Oh, I no, I did. I did get done for a throw a few times and it really used to get up my, get up me because, you know, I did, I did touch with the stump and I thought that was a hand pass, but sometimes some umpires weren't so, so keen on that. And no doubt uh, a few tall stories told over the years as to you know, how it all happened. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, just touched the electric fence and my arm blew off or, you know, <laughs> a cow stood on it. But, yeah, I've got a lot of stories. Shark, Shark crocodile. Crocodile, yeah, I was fishing up in Northern Territory. But, um, yeah, got a lot of stories that I tell. But, yeah, sometimes I feel bad because I let them go too far, but I have to bring it back. Because little kids sometimes don't believe that people are born that way. Yeah, kids are, you know, they've got no filter and they, yeah, you, when you tell them, you know, I was just born without the lower half of my right arm, you know, they, what, they, what, you can't be born like that, can you? So I've got to, you know, make up a story for them to understand. Michael talks about his greatest achievements, winning gold at the 2019 London Marathon in a world record time. And again at the Boston Marathon when he finished with a time of 3.48 for the 1,500 metres. But the event wasn't ratified. He also talks about integrity in para sports and why he thinks Paralympians are less likely to dope than their Olympic counterparts. First London in 2019 when I, you know, won the World Championships was, um, yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was um, you know, to, to run a big city marathon and that was incorporated as the Para-Athletics World Championships to win that was, you know, something pretty special. And and I ran the world record in the 1500 a couple of years before that in Boston. That was, today, that was in 2015. And today that's probably one of my greatest achievements only because Philo and I had been training for that record for a long time and we were so close for a long time. But then to finally do it was, um, yeah, if I could bottle that feeling up and sell it after I crossed that finish line, it would be worth a million dollars. And I haven't got that feeling yet. And I hopefully I get it again when I win a gold medal at the Paralympics next year. Now, during COVID, um, there were no overseas trips, no marathons overseas. So at the same time the Boston Marathon was scheduled, you decided to run around Lake Burley Griffin in April and, and you're running amongst people on, on a bike path, really, aren't you? Yep, that's exactly right, Tim. And um, yeah, Boston, you know, it was, it was one hit after the other. Boston got cancelled, the Paralympics got cancelled and I'm a sort of athlete that needs a goal at the end of a hard training block and so Boston was off but then Philo and I had the idea to um, yeah just run a marathon on a Saturday morning around the lake and I remember that day it was it was a beautiful morning but far out it was busy there was like every man and his dog around the lake and well there were dogs weren't there yeah there were there were there was everything but um, yeah that that was surprising Philo sort of just told me to go out there and run 230 for, for the for the full marathon and you ran 223 223 which is in my class in the Paralympics is, you know, no one's run that fast. So I was pretty, pretty happy to, um, you know, run that quick in training. We didn't really taper for it. And it just shows that we're in, we're in the right space and we're doing the right things. Because you ran 2.19 at Houston earlier in the year in January. So this was going to be your year, wasn't it? You, you can see the build up and you can see the times that you're recording and suddenly COVID comes and the Paralympics are postponed. How do you recover from something like that? Yeah, and it just yeah, gave me a bit of shivers just when you're just mentioning that because I really did feel that 2020 was my year, you know, mentally, physically. I feel like I had, you know, all my competitors covered. I was mentally ready. I was physically, I was, you know, I, I felt like I could have done anything this year. And, you know, that's been taken away from me. And um, the tough thing is that 
fitness, health, one year is not guaranteed the next year. So hopefully this time next year, you know, I'll be feeling as I did in, you know, February, March this year. And um, yeah, I can do something special. Just on integrity in sport and the fact you know how much work you put into what you do, do you ever have any suspicions that somebody else might be taking shortcuts? You know, you know, there's always you always sort of think about that sort of stuff, and um, I don't just race in the Paralympics. I race with a lot of able-bodied racers as well, and um, it's tough these days because every great performance is always going to come under a cloud because you know the sport is moving so fast, and even with you know Nike's Vaporfly shoes, yep. you know you think about them. Are they fair? Is that integrity in sport? Can they be illegal? Are they illegal? Um, I think technology, you know, drugs, it's all, they're pushing the boundaries where, you know, I think that sometimes we should just get back to basics and, you know, running, you know, shoes with not, no carbon fibre or no, you know, high stack foam. Um, and then with the drug side of things, you know, they're always going to be around and people are always going to be pushing the envelope, especially when there's a lot of money involved in sport. But in Paralympics, there seems to be less of that, doesn't there? Yeah, and I think that's a big, big reason why a lot of Paralympic athletes you know, aren't leaning towards doping just because the money is not there as in our Olympic athletes, whereas, you know, they've got big sponsorships, big contracts, bonuses. If they run fast, they get a certain amount of money, whereas the Paralympics is not quite there yet. Um, so the incentive to dope is not there. Even in the Olympics as well, I think the general majority of athletes are doing the right thing, but there's this small minority that, that aren't. And, um, you know, if we can stand that out, great. But I, I believe if we're towing the start line, you want to make sure that everyone's on a fair playing field. The full interview expands on his first sporting love and what continues to drive him. Each month we celebrate one of the great moments in Australian sport in our segment from the Highlight Reel. And last year we went back over 30 years to reminisce on the 1989 Rugby League Grand Final with retired Canberra Raider Steve Jackson. In extra time, Steve scored the winning try against the Balmain Tigers. Still deemed to be one of the greatest grand finals in rugby league history. And there it is, one point lead to the Canberra Raiders. brings back some great memories, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's an awesome, awesome, unbelievable. Like, I'm just a, I was a kid, I'm back in Mackay these days, and I was just a kid from Mackay, and who could ever think that I'd played in a dream, you know? You, as a kid growing up, you watch uh, the Sydney Rugby League, New South Wales Rugby League on telly on a Saturday afternoon, watching your Les Boyds and your, and um, Stevie Rogers, and I was a St. George follower when I was a young fella, and, and to be in one of them games that I used to watch on TV was just remarkable. It's it's amazing how your life goes, and, and over the past 30 years, it it's just been celebrated over and over. And I got to I got to stand on the football um, on the on the arena with, in front of 83,000 people last year when Canberra um, played in that grand final against the Roosters. And um, this game just keeps given, given, given. I love it. <laughs> Leading into that try, you you had an involvement early. In, in the set of six and then obviously scored that try. But 
what was going through your mind? Was it, listen, I'm going to make my mark here or I'm just going to take my opportunity? Was it was anything going through your mind? Yeah, look, I, I was... Um, I, I, I knew exactly what position of the, uh, of the game we were in. It was uh, three minutes to go. Uh, we're leading by one point. Um, Mel picks the ball up from an Andy, Andy Courier grubber and he give it to me and I wasn't going to make a mistake. You know, I could have... I've seen on the replay, done a little pirouette. I could have passed the ball inside to Stevie Walters and he probably would have scored under the sticks. But in my mind, I was just not going to drop the ball, not make a mistake and just keep running until they stop me. And... Uh, after a, a, a bit of a, I run into a couple of players and then I looked up, I saw the try line there and and I uh, couldn't believe it. I stuck the ball over the line. I just remember thinking, I made it, I made it, I made it. And I looked up and saw it build, young Bill Harrigan with his arm pointed in my direction. And yeah, it wasn't until later on that night I realised how, how big a moment that was. You find yourself, an, you're an educator almost these days, aren't you? Oh, well through my experiences because I was I was a bit of a naughty boy you know and and you'll find a lot of them in rugby league rugby league circles uh, you know we we don't dip our toe in the water we dive in head first and uh, and if you can get through them crazy years and, and come out the other side and you become a, a, a good teacher yeah we also talked about Steve's post-career transformation and how he now uses his own experiences to help young people rugby league like I said it it, it owes no one and, and it just keeps giving. And I just, I love coaching young fellas and, and passing on my experience. I, I I give up the alcohol about eight years ago and, and I was, um, I used to be a little bit of a naughty boy as a young fella coming through. And, and I think I'm a pretty good teacher now. I can use my own experiences to help young people that, that play this game. So the reason for giving it up, you just felt as though you needed to change your life? Yeah, well, it was taking control of what, what I was doing, you know. I, I, When anything ever took control of me, I sort of stepped back and went, you know, well, what the hell am I doing? And, and it, it was pretty difficult because I'd, um, as you come through uh, football, sort of, it, you, you celebrate your moments. And usually the old Australian tradition is to celebrate with some alcohol. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was 46 year old and my 12 year old son at the time, he, I think I had a big, big night, and the next morning I, I woke up and I thought, you know, what am I doing? You know, I, I wanted to be the dad that says, um, do as I do, not not do as I say. And uh, and my kids are, are a very strong part of, of my life, and uh, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. So that's that's the reason I, I give it away. A true legend of the game. The full interview also includes a more in-depth discussion about the 1989 Grand Final and Steve's journey leading up to that day. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Finally, Australian marathon runner Cassie Fien was preparing for the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast before she was banned for nine months after the supplement she was taking unknowingly contained a bad substance. In her interview on Onside, she talks about the devastating moment she was told she'd had a banned substance in her system and the impact it had on her career and her life. Obviously, got the call, um, and I was in a little bit of a, a bit of a daze. Uh, I remember the the um, the gentleman from Asada kept having to, Cassie, do you, are you listening to me? I'm, I've got to tell you this information, and and I was kind of nodding along, but but not really comprehending what he was saying. Um, and 
then I went, uh, as soon as I hung up the phone, I went into shock straight away um, to the point where, so I went hysterical, sorry, to start off with, um, screaming, crying, um, just completely out of control. And then all of a sudden I went into shock. So I uh, hit the deck, um, I could see, I could hear, um, but I couldn't speak, so I couldn't communicate to people and they were, they were trying to get things out of me and I was in my head going, I can see you, I can hear you, but I, I just can't, I can't, I can't converse with you. Uh, so I was taken to hospital in an ambulance um, and eventually the doctors came in and um, was trying to talk to me and uh, yeah, I eventually, they wouldn't release me until I could converse with them. Um, and eventually I got a couple of words out and uh, then I was released into my brother's care for 20, like constant supervision for 24 hours, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I couldn't eat or drink or anything for nearly, nearly three days. And uh, I just guess I felt um, sort of numb and like, yeah, something had been ripped out of me. Like, I just couldn't really... I didn't know how I was going to keep living. Yeah. Yeah. So you've checked the substance. The hygienamine's not listed on it. Do you feel cheated? Ah, uh, not, not cheated and also oh, not used, but um, uh, like a false, like a, um, false sense of security, like, you know, they've, they've put something on there that is not what it is is actually you know um yeah it just didn't I, I just could yeah I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it it I wasn't a full-time athlete so I you know couldn't have the, the the four square meals a day and the the sleep after I have a training session and you know in that perfect perfect world of an elite athlete I think what I was struggling with was being an elite athlete, but not living, not having the lifestyle to to be able to live like one. Um, so again, you you try to find, okay, I can't have that lifestyle. So what can I do legally within my power to to try to get my optimum? And that's when I was naive um, and got drawn into those supplement companies. Oh, this will make you recover better, and this will help your training, and this will help your focus, and um, and I did. I'll absolutely admit that I did get drawn into that. You do what you can to try to perform at your optimum within the rules of your sport. There was absolutely no in, in intention behind it from from my point of view. Uh, I tried to do everything that we had, uh, you know, well, everything in my power of the rules of my sport, um, and yet I still. I still went positive, you know. So, but at the end of the day, I guess that's 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 the risk you run. Um, but that can be the same for any food. Like if you put meat in your head that has those extra hormones in it or something like that, um, is that unfair? Yeah, it probably is too. But um, I guess yes. Yeah, so I, I what I'm trying to say is I, I do I do take ownership, um, but at the same time it's. Um, yeah, just a bit unfair. Running has always been more than just a sport for Cassie. She had a connection to the sport on a much deeper level. 
Um, I just remember when I was at the hospital, <laughs> sorry, um, I said I'd make it for you, Dad, and that was about the Olympics, so <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was obviously really important for me, um, and running is a connection to him, so um, yeah, it's not just a sport for me, um, it's way more than that. I talk to him a lot in my head when I'm, when I'm running or, um, and that's why I try to take every opportunity I can because he didn't get the opportunity to, to do the things in his life um, that he wanted to do. So um, we, so yeah, I just wanted to try to get the most out of what I can. Um, and I just, that, that, yeah, and that connection for me is when I'm out on the pavement, when I'm running every single time. Cassie also talks about how her life changed after the ban and how it may have damaged her reputation. To be called a cheat when I didn't cheat, um, that was probably the most difficult thing um, for me. I I'd lost my confidence um, and my, my, my passion out of life went, my purpose, my purpose out of life went. Um, and you know, a lot of people could say, oh, it's just a sport, you know, just do something else. Um, but that link with my dad um, was, was, too, was too much for me. And I, you know, still to this day, I, um, it, it's what gets me up out of bed in the morning, you know, to, to have something to, to strive for. And, and just even the feeling of, of going out for a run. So um, yeah, I had to rebuild my life. Um, I was seeing psychiatrists, um, psychologists. Um, the last thing I wanted, but I had to be put on medication because I just wasn't, I wasn't able to, to pick myself up. Just the perception of, of turning up to a race and, and not having that confidence because thinking that people are looking at me differently. Um, I don't, it will never be what it was like before. It's, it's, it's changed. And I, I, yeah, I may have to accept that. Those in my, what I call my, my little running, my running world, my running team, my running family, and they know who they are. Um, I, I won't name names, but they definitely know who they are. Absolutely stood by my side. Um, yeah, and if it wasn't for them and their support, I'd hate to think what would have happened. It's such a powerful story and a warning for all athletes. In the full interview, we discuss Cassie's career so far, what drives her and her views on supplements. It can be found on our podcast and on our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this Highlights Edition on the Sport Integrity Australia podcast, Onside. This year, Onside will continue to raise awareness of ongoing integrity issues, answer your questions, and educate sports and athletes to help ensure the protection and integrity of sporting competitions in Australia are maintained. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to us from for new episodes every month. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au or check out our Clean Sport app.